By the way, while we're uh, just waiting, just so you know, unless it wasn't clear, there's a luncheon afterwards. Anyone's welcome to stay. If you have to go, we understand. But the O'Connors will be doing a little Q&A as we uh, eat some uh, hoagies. Okay, so that's open to, that's open to anyone. And that'll be immediately following the service downstairs. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your power. Good. Well, I want to speak to you this morning about the kingdom coming with power again, the kingdom after it has come. As Mark says, the kingdom after it has come with power. This is, uh, this is a glorious moment in the life of these uh, three disciples, as we saw, uh, Peter, James, and John. This is the inner circle uh, that is, um, uh, has this special ring of intimacy with Christ. The Lord wants to give them an anchor moment a moment that they would be able to look back on for the rest of their life, and regardless of the suffering that they were enduring and going through, they would be able to say, I know that I experienced with this with the Lord. And there are moments in our lives where we can look back, if there's anything that we need in our life, it's anchor moments. Life oftentimes is, uh, is, is not easy. There is, uh, there is suffering involved in this life. There is hardship that's involved in this life. And if there's anything that we need, it's moments that we can look back on and say, I know that God spoke to me there. I know it. I might uh, be having a, a struggle right now. I might not be uh, able to see in the darkness that is surrounding me right now. There might be doubts and there might be fears and there might be struggles. But I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord met me at that certain place. I had an experience with him. I remember when the word of God so richly and deeply convicted my soul. I, I know what it's like to experience the power and the presence of God. I know what that's like. And we, we hang on to those moments like an anchor that as it's dropped the chain, it goes up to the ship and that anchor steadies it so that ship cannot drift too far to the left and too far to the right. These are anchor moments in our life. And this is exactly what Jesus is, um, this is exactly what Jesus is giving some of his disciples. He's saying, I'm going to manifest myself to you in profound glory. I'm going to manifest myself to you in power like the second coming, that kind of power. So later on, Peter, as you go to the cross, and as tradition says, Peter was crucified upside down. 
Peter, you'll be able to remember this moment. You'll be able to remember the moment when I was transfigured, when I was changed, when I was transformed before you. You'll be able to hang on to that. There's moments in our lives, I know there's moments in my life that I look back and I say, Lord, I'm going through this right now. But as I look back in my life, as I, as I look back in the history of what you've done for me, God, I remember specific moments where you met me. Lord, I remember specific moments when the experience with you was palpable. The manifest presence of God, I know what that's like. And by the way, if you're, if you're seated here, and that is uh, something that's foreign to you. Uh, this, this whole thing that we're talking about, this, uh, this whole uh, account here, it's not a myth. It's not a, a story. In fact, myths and stories will not anchor you in the storms of life. You, you come to church, and, and some people might come to church, and they say, well, I've heard these nice little stories, and I, I kind of believe them. They're kind of like a little moral compass for my life. I'm glad that uh, they were told to me. But it's more of just kind of a fable. It's more of just kind of a story. And believe me, there are a lot of churches where, where even the sermon time is just kind of like story time where it's just kind of a going over of some ancient fables that we're kind of trying to encourage ourselves with a little bit, maybe help us to cope with the coming week. And that's not what this is. When Jesus comes and he meets us, he is, um, he's the living God of all creation. And when we read his word and when we're comforted, when we're encouraged in his word, listen, reading his word is like someone told me this, this week, it's like taking a bath. It's cleansing, it's, it's powerful. And so we, we come into contact with the living God and we say, your word has so penetrated my soul. Your word has so gripped me. I, I remember what it was like to just think that the scripture was just kind of story time. I remember when I just kind of read the Bible and didn't really understand it and I thought, how can, how can people uh, be so into reading this scripture, it seems kind of rather boring and rather dry. And all of a sudden, your eyes get, uh, get opened. And you experience and you encounter the Lord. And maybe someone says, oh, I remember. Oh, I remember. 1955, it was a Thursday night when I met the Lord. A long time ago. That wouldn't have been me, but that might have been someone else. Someone says, oh, no, I remember 1984, it was, uh, it was uh, spring. And I remember when the Lord revealed himself through the word so powerfully to me. I remember what it was like to have a taste of his manifest presence. Maybe it was last week. So I was just dry coming into the service. And as I, as I came in, as uh, the word was being preached, or as somebody prayed, or as uh, there were songs being lifted up to the Lord in worship, I sensed the presence of God, and it was like cleansing water. And I, I hang on to that moment. And so we hang on to these moments throughout the rest of our life. Do you have moments like this? Where you think back in your life and in the moments of discouragement or the moments of trial in your life, you look back on them and you say, oh no, 
Oh no, I might doubt like Peter does a number of times. It's interesting, even after Pentecost, even after Pentecost in Galatians chapter 2, Peter is still being rebuked by Paul for falling short in his understanding of the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. If you think that we just have this experience with God and then after it there's no doubts, you just are full of faith all the time, you just have no struggles, you're just always on par with God, always have keen eyesight, always experiencing the manifest presence of God. It's not so. And so we, we need moments like this, and so Jesus wants to show them, look, fellas, it is a lot about suffering, and uh, I am a man of sorrows, he's uh, telling them, acquainted with grief, that's true. But it's my sacrifice that's going to purchase everlasting glory. It's my, it's my death on the cross, my coming death on the cross, that is going to give you a taste of everlasting delight. These sorrows are not going to last for always. In fact, they're momentary afflictions. And guys, I want to I reveal myself to you. The veiling of the flesh where they could see Jesus, but they didn't see him in his full glory. He's about to show them what it is like to see, them, see him in his, his eternal glory. And he gives them a glorious promise. Why don't you flip with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. This is what we were looking at last week, Mark the ninth chapter. And in verse 1, he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. He's saying there are some of you who are here, some, not all, that's very key, some of you who are here who will be alive when you see me coming after the kingdom has come in power. Some of you will still be alive. Some of you will get to taste the kingdom coming with power. Not all of them, not the whole crowd, not even all of his disciples, but a small number of them would get to taste what it would, like, would be like to see him coming in the kingdom after it has come, according to Mark chapter 9, after it has come with power. So he's saying some of you are not going to die. In fact, before you die, you're going to still be alive, and you're not going to taste death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. Well, what is he talking about here? We said that the fulfillment of this is actually found in context in the next verses. So some of them are still going to be alive after the kingdom has come in power. And then he fulfills this prophecy six to eight days later. It says here in our text, uh, six days, that's what it was. Luke tells us about eight days. And so Jesus gives this promise. He says, okay, uh, you're going to see me. Some of you are going to see me I'm coming. He's not talking about the second coming, although he's talking about an event that would point to the second coming, that's for sure. He's pointing to the transfiguration. This would be the fulfillment of his promise in chapter 1. You're not going to die until you see me come in the kingdom, the Son of Man, according to Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 17, the Son of Man coming in great power. 
Now notice the fulfillment of this, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. So now we have the fulfillment. He said, some of you are going to see the kingdom. Who's the some? That's Peter, that's James, that's John. And he led them up to a high mountain. We said that this is quite possibly Mount Hermon. It was quite possibly dark and uh, cold. And he was uh, transfigured before them. And Luke, in the Greek, it actually says that his appearance was like lightning bolts. That's amazing, like true lightning bolts. This is how bright he was. Mark here tells us it was like no one could bleach his clothes. You could keep bleaching and bleaching, and you would never get them as white as was, um, was on Jesus because the glory of God was being revealed, was being radiated from his very being. This is God. He's saying, some of you are going to get to see me in my glory. Some of you. He's not talking to everyone, or many of them would still be in the church at Pentecost. He's talking to a select few. Peter, James, John, you're going to get to see me in my, in my heavenly glory. This is going to become an anchor moment in their life. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white there in verse 3 of Mark chapter 9. As no one on earth could bleach them. You could keep cleaning his clothes and cleaning his clothes. Light is emanating from his being because he is God the Son. This is, um, this is the divine Son of God. This is God in the flesh. And the flesh that veiled him now is radiating, not from outside, but from within his very being. And we talked about the glory of light and how oftentimes God is associated with light. Listen, God is light, First John tells us. God is light, and in him is no darkness. There's no darkness. There's no evil. There's no sin, there's no wickedness, it's only glory, it's only purity. And he is showing them exactly who he is, that he is truly the Son of God, the Son of Man, by the way, as we see in, uh, in Daniel chapter 7. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and we said that this is representative of the law and the prophets being fulfilled. Matthew chapter 5 tells us that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. These men are representatives of the categories of law and prophets. And they were talking with Jesus. What a, what a beautiful sight this is. This is real. This isn't a little story. This isn't just for a nursery rhyme. Here you have two guys show up. One had died and the Lord had buried him. Another one had been taken to heaven in a whirlwind, the scripture tells us, along with a chariot of fire, an intense, beautiful scene. And here they are talking to the Lord. Now the question immediately comes, what were they talking about? Here they are talking and you have Peter, James, and John, they're, they're all there, and 
They're listening, as we're going to see here. They're absolutely terrified. Can you imagine? This is, a, this is terrifying to see the Lord completely lit up from his inner being, and all of a sudden, the two guys who have been gone for a long time show up. That's pretty terrifying. In fact, um, Matthew tells us that they're, in the, uh, the, that they're in the appropriate position of being on their face. And when we see the Lord in his glory, to think that there's uh, any other appropriate posture other than, Lord, I'm on my face before you in your glory. You're God, I'm not. You're majestic. This is, this is the majesty of Christ. So they're on their faces uh, before, before the Lord because of the glory of the Lord that is radiating uh, from him. And Elijah and Moses, um, they begin to talk with Jesus. Now, oftentimes when we think about uh, Moses and Elijah, these are, these are distinguished figures in the Old Testament. These guys are highly thought of. And here they are talking with someone who is infinitely greater than them. Infinitely more powerful. In fact, he is their, he is their maker. He is the one who comes before them. He is the pre-existent, eternal one who made them. As uh, Christ is uh, Lord of all of history, he knows every generation. Think of all the generations that have gone before us. Think of the thousands and millions and billions of people that have lived before us. And here we are in this train of history. And the Bible teaches very clearly that the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, is the one who is preeminent over all. He's before all. And he's the everlasting king. But it does make us wonder, doesn't it? What are they, what are they discussing? And the scripture actually gives us the answer. If you turn over to Luke chapter 9, uh, Luke chapter 9, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 30. This is, um, this is the parallel account here in, in the Gospel of Luke. Verse 30, Luke chapter 9, verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Same figures, same historical people. These are, are real people, obviously. As we've talked about, when you die, you don't really die. You either go to be with the Lord immediately in his presence, consciously, fully aware or you're separated from him. The scripture talks about hell. Hell is uh, an everlasting place of destruction, but here are these two men, quite alive, obviously have been in the, the presence of God. And in verse 31, it tells us, who appeared in glory and spoke, here it is, spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So what does his uh, departure mean? Well, what his departure is talking about here is it's talking about his death. The fact that Jesus is going to die. The fact that he is uh, about to suffer like he has 
not suffered before. He's about to be put on a cross. Can you imagine the conversation? And here, no doubt, they are encouraging him. They are strengthening him. You say, wait a second, how do you strengthen God? Wait, I thought we just said Jesus is God. Yes, he's fully God, but he's also what? Fully human. In fact, the Bible tells us very clearly that angels came and strengthened the Lord. And so here are these two guys that were saved by faith alone in Christ, looking forward to the coming Messiah. And here they are, they're talking about his coming death, and they're no doubt encouraging him, strengthening him, saying, Lord, uh, we worship you. Moses is, is, is um, saying, this is, this is the one, you're the one, Jesus, that we were looking forward to. God, I, I worship you. You're the one who comes after me. You're the one that I said someone would come who would speak like me but would be greater than me. You're that one. You can see Elijah and Moses, both of them, as they are encouraging the Lord and as they are strengthening him, as they are pointing toward the fact that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that had been prophesied and everything that had been preached in the Old Testament. In fact, the word here for departure is exodus, to go out. What were they speaking to Jesus about? They were speaking to him about the cross. It's interesting, Peter would use this same word in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. If you want to flip over there to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 15, just as Moses had led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, so Jesus would lead us out of the land of sin and destruction. He says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. He says, And I will make every effort so that after my departure, after my departure, what's he talking about? He's talking about his death. After my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Isn't this interesting? Peter's saying, listen, I want you to recall these things. I want you to recall the anchor moments in your life so you can remember back to what God has done in your life. And so here is, uh, here is Moses. Here is Elijah. They, they both show up. They're both uh, talking to Jesus. Uh, Peter is rather stunned. If you go back to Mark Chapter 9, you never know what Peter's going to say. Well, we're going to find out here in just a second. Mark uh, chapter 9. <laughs> Peter, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, which means a teacher, it is good that we are here. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It is good. Um, in fact, most of us would say, Lord, we'd love to go up a mountain with you too and see you in your full glory. By the way, the glory that points to the second coming. This is what this is all about, pointing to the fact of when Christ comes, he's going to be radiating beautiful glory and majesty. So he says, Rabbi, it's good uh, that we are here. Let us make three tents, okay? Let's make three tents. Uh, this is kind of reminiscent of the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the, the Feast of, of Booths. 
When Israelites would uh, celebrate their exodus and their journeying in the wilderness for 40 years when they had to sleep and live in tents. Uh, today, in fact, uh, the Feast of Booths is during September, October. It's, it's going on uh, right around this time. They'll make these um, temporary dwellings and they'll live in them for eight days, reminiscent of when they wandered around in the wilderness. And so Peter here is talking and he says, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And you kind of look over and you kind of go, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? In fact, uh, that's exactly what the next verse says. Look at verse 6. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Have you ever said something when you're just terrified or you're just uh, out of sorts, you don't know what to say, and all of a sudden you just say anything and it just comes out and you're like, I don't, I don't even know what I was just saying, Lord. I have, no, I have no clue what I was just talking about. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. They're watching Jesus as he's transformed before them. They see uh, Moses and Elijah show up. This is an incredible event. Peter is so terrified, James is so terrified, John is so terrified, they're all on their faces before the Lord, and Peter comes up with uh, the novel idea of, hey, let's, um, let's make some tents. I think what he might be saying is, Lord, let's, let's make this experience last. In fact, one commentator says he's thinking that the coming kingdom, the kingdom with power and with glory, is now starting. He's saying, let's, let's get this thing rolling. Have you ever wanted the experience uh, with God that is just so wonderful and so profound and so beautiful to just last? And uh, as the, the glory of God comes in, the power of God, you're just saying, Lord, I love you. I just, I, I thank you for your presence in my life. Thank you for all that you've done. God, I, I just don't want this experience to go. I can remember in my, um, my life a particular experience where there was just a, just a sense that heaven came down. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I just don't want this experience to end. But in life, these experiences end. And so Peter is saying, Lord, let's keep this thing going. This is wonderful. We'll, we'll build a couple of temporary dwellings here. Perhaps he's not even seeing the Lord as clearly as he should be. Maybe he's not seeing him as preeminent. Lord, you're kind of like Moses and kind of like Elijah. You're kind of on the same level as these guys, a tent for Jesus, a tent for Elijah, a tent for, for Moses. But he's terrified. And all of a sudden, something else happens, and we have the final word. These guys are scared to death they didn't know what to say and all of a sudden a, a cloud overshadowed them a cloud overshadowed them in fact this is the same verb that's used in uh, luke chapter 1 verse 35 when mary is overshadowed uh, with uh, with the holy spirit it's interesting how trinitarian this passage is you have the son you have the manifest presence here of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the Old Testament, oftentimes we'd see the manifest presence of God coming like a cloud. If you flip back to Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33, the Old Testament, go to Exodus chapter 
Genesis, Exodus, and chapter 33, verse 7. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Now, Moses used to take the tent, this is, um, uh, this is the tent of meeting, and pitch it outside the, the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it, here it is, the, the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Verse 8. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each one would stand at his tent door and watch until Moses had gone into the tent. Isn't that an interesting picture as Moses goes into this tent, everyone comes outside of their tent and they stand outside of the tent door. There's, a, there's an act of reverence here. There's an act of respect that is going on, respect for the presence of God. Notice what happens in verse 9. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, so here it is, uh, the cloud, the pillar of cloud, which is the manifest presence of God, representative of, of the Holy Spirit, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. If you go over to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8, 1 Kings chapter 8, First Kings, First Kings chapter eight, First Kings chapter eight. Let's look at verse nine. First Kings chapter eight, verse nine. There is nothing in, in the ark. This is the ark of the covenant. This is not Noah's ark. This is the the golden box that was used to. Uh, keep the wonderful relics of, uh, of Israel. The two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land. And when the priests came out of the holy place, here it is, notice what, what happens. A cloud, a cloud, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. There's, there's many other verses that we could look at. But here in our text, in Mark chapter 9, a cloud overshadows them. It, it actually, uh, according to Luke, um, uh, overshadowed all six of them. It wasn't just overshadowing uh, Elijah and Moses and Jesus. And so here they are in the midst of this glory cloud, the manifest presence of God, and a voice came out of the cloud. Now, the, the voice from heaven actually happens three times in the gospel. We have it once at the baptism. We have it uh, once here in the different, uh, the different parallel texts about the transfiguration. We also have it at the end of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 12. Why don't you flip with me there real quick. John chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, this is oftentimes the one that is not noticed. We notice the voice at his baptism. We notice the voice at the transfiguration. But in John chapter 12, verse 27, this is the third account of a voice coming from heaven 
Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. J. Vernon McGee noticed that all three times the voice comes from heaven, it has to do with the cross or events surrounding the cross, events surrounding the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But for this purpose, for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then notice what happens. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. This is quite clear that this is God the Father. So you have God the Son, you have God the Holy Spirit. We see here as a cloud overshadows all six of them. If you go back to Mark chapter nine, a cloud overshadows them. And now a voice comes out of the cloud. And the voice is the voice of the Father. The voice of, of God the Father. And it's very interesting here. He doesn't say uh, Jesus is, is the equal to Moses and Jesus is the equal here to Elijah. He's just another prophet. No, he's, he's very clear. And what he is in essence saying is, listen, this is the one who's prophesying about his sufferings. This is the one who's talking about his imminent death. It's all true. If you continue to look for a political figure who's going to save you from Rome, it's not going to happen. You're looking for the wrong Messiah. You have the right Messiah right in front of you. Notice what he says. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. What, what is the father saying here? He's saying that the son is over these two other figures. Moses points to the son. Elijah points to the son. And as these guys are trying to figure out who Jesus is, uh, uh, Peter has declared that Jesus is the Messiah, but as we have seen, his, his vision is kind of unclear. It's kind of murky. This voice comes from heaven that they could hear. They're in this cloud of glory. They're absolutely terrified. And now you have the father clearly speaking and he is saying, this is the son. This is my son. Listen to him. By the way, this is what we need to come back to over and over again. We listen to the son. He who has the son has the father. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we're in the word of God, when we're listening to him, we see clearly we're on the right path. But when we begin to listen to other voices, we begin to think about other things that are not scriptural or not coming from Christ, we begin to lose our way. And so this voice thunders from heaven and it says, this is my son, listen to him, my beloved son. And suddenly, we close with this, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. As soon as this experience happened, all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are gone. The glory cloud is gone. There's, there's no more voice. But this event, listen, this event would be an anchor moment that would stick with Peter for the rest of his life. It would anchor him. 
You say, well, how do, how do we know that this would anchor? We, we started off by talking about anchor moments, moments that anchor us, that keep us going in the midst of the storm, that keep us going in the midst of trials and tribulation. I want you to turn over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter one. Now, we'll start with 15. This is, this is where we were just a, a moment ago. And it says this, and I will make every effort so that after this is Peter talking, my departure, he's, he's speaking about his death. You may be able at any time to recall these things. So you can bring them back to mind. You can, you can focus on them. You can remember the, the good word that was spoken to you. Now notice what he says, this is verse 16, and by the way, in the original, there's, there's no chapter breaks, there's, there's no verses given, so this just flows right into verse, verse 16. Notice what he says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. This is, what Peter is saying is, we didn't come for story time. We came, listen, we came for the real thing. We saw what really happened. This is actual history. This is a real narrative that if you go back 2,000 years ago, he says, we're not, someone isn't sitting with a pen in their office just coming up with nice spiritual stories. We, we, didn't, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. But notice what he says. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice he's talking about his coming, Simon's coming. What does the transfiguration point to? It's pointing to his coming. You shall see the Son of Man, according to Matthew 17, after he's come in power. The kingdom, according to Mark chapter 9, when it has come in power, pointing to the second coming. And we made known to you the power and, uh, and, co and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but notice what it says here. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. What is he talking about? He's talking about the experience he had. See this? He, he's remembering back. He's remembering back to what happened with he and Peter and James and John, and now he is passing it off onto us. So he, hears the, he sees the majestic glory, he hears the voice. This is my beloved son, verse 17, with whom I am well pleased. Notice this, verse 18. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. What is he saying? He's saying, we were there, guys. I remember I remember the time when Jesus said, some of you, crowds standing around, specifically speaking to the disciples, but he's really speaking to three of us. Some of you aren't going to die until you see the kingdom after it has come with power. And that some was me. I got to see him come in power. I got to see him when we went to that holy mountain. And we heard we heard the voice from the Father say, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is what Peter's saying. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not passing off to you a myth. I'm not passing off to you a story. 
I'm passing on to you something that actually happened. And we can anticipate the fact that Christ is going to come again in glory. Amen? That's what he's coming. He's coming as the king. And all of this pointed to the fact he's coming again. He's coming just like this. But notice what he says. This is it. And we have something more sure. That's interesting. He says, we have something more sure. The prophetic word. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. What do we do? Anchor moments. We get in the word, the prophetic word, and it guides us, and it anchors us, and it keeps us, and it makes us strong. Have you ever begun to feel a little bit weak, and all of a sudden you get in the word? Listen, uh, the, the, the enemy, Satan, the enemy of your souls, is going to do everything possible to keep you from this. It's not a coincidence that every time someone tries to plan to read the Word of God, all hell breaks loose. Because you have something in your hands that is more sure. You have the prophetic Word of God like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The kingdom come in power. Jesus is true. Everything he says is right. Nothing he says is wrong. Everything that he says, people, people that don't know the scripture, that don't read their Bibles, they read passages like this and they say things like, well, that's talking about the second coming, you never come again, and these guys all died, so it's not true. That's not what it's talking about at all. It's reading the Bible in context. It's seeing what verses precede other verses and understanding that there's a whole narrative in all of scripture, and here we see Peter writing about this event years later to encourage our hearts with the prophetic word of God. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer.